0: up if you'd like uh, a copy of the Bible with the same page numbers he's got. And we're in 2 Peter, chapter 1, starting at verse 12. As Martin said, it's uh, 2 Peter, chapter 1. Um, We'll start um, at verse 12 and we'll read right through to the end of chapter 2. And it's on page 1,222 in the Church Bibles. (coughs) 2 Peter, chapter 1, starting at verse 12. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me and I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgments, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who is distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such, thing, on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to cruise in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, revelling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed, an accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey. An animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water, and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomits, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud.
1: Thanks very much, Tim. And well, what, what do we make of warnings? Passages like this, there's some pretty strong words, some strong warnings. Warnings can be good. Warnings, probably most of the time, are good and are loving. Um, I was thinking back um, to the last century when I was uh, learning to drive. Um, Whenever you fill in forms and it's how long you've been driving, I'm always astonished by how long ago it was. But I can remember as a sixth former as a 17 year old the police coming in to do a session with all of us who've just passed our tests feeling invincible <coughs> and and them just warning us of yeah what could happen to us as we set out on our driving um, I don't know if you remember adverts like this that this this um, Think campaign's been going for 50 years now. But I remember those, they, I don't know if you still do this, Tim, going to speak to sixth formers and get horrific pictures and stories and just scare these young, impressionable teenagers. But that time served to give us a sober respect and a, and a thoughtfulness. To, to shape the way we would go about our driving in those formative years and to impress upon us that the choices that we make have consequences and we're not to take them lightly. <coughs> and passages like this in before us this morning function like that. There's that same dynamic going on. Peter, as he writes these words for his first readers, wants them to have a sober respect as they think about life now and heading on into eternity as well. Um, so as we start to look at this passage, let's pray and let's ask for God's help as we, as we go through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our Father. We thank you that we've been singing and reading and reminding ourselves that you are good. You will hold us fast. You keep your promises. And Father, thank you that that you are the ultimate authority. You are the king on the throne. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves before you now. Help us to humble ourselves before your word. Please, Lord, would you... Show us wonderful things. Show us grace, mercy, truth. Show us the warnings we need to heed as well. Thank you that you love us enough to give us these warnings. Please would you speak to us, help us to understand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the book of 2 Peter, in many ways, are Peter's last words. Um, It's been described as his last will and testament. Scholars have actually looked at kind of wills and testament from that time and noticed the similarities in structure and content to what Peter sets out in this letter here. And uh, I don't know if you noticed verse 14 as, as, as Tim was reading through. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, he says, I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus has has made clear to me. He knows his death is is imminent. And so there's an urgency as to what he writes and he sets out in this letter. In this short letter, he says five times he's wanting to remind them of truths, all with the aim of, of keeping them from stumbling to help them stand firm. So verse 12, the start. I, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. He wants to remind them because he knows the danger. Centuries before Peter wrote these words, Moses was speaking to the people of Israel after 40 years of wandering in the desert, on the cusp of heading into the promised land, Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9. He said this, only be careful, watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Did you notice what he said? So that you don't let them fade from your heart. That's an interesting turn of phrase, isn't it? But that's, that's how we get into trouble, isn't it? What was once extraordinary to us, what once thrilled our hearts over time, becomes ordinary, routine. And then ordinary fades from our hearts and becomes forgotten. And forgetting is the beginning of disobedience. That's what we see again and again throughout Scripture. We, we stop fearing the Lord We stop fearing sin, we start listening to the world around instead, and we fall away. Peter's longing for his readers, for these Christians, is that they will stand firm, not fall away. Finish strong, that's what what he wants for them, stand firm. And this morning as we look through this great big chunk, um, there's two main points. Firstly, stand firm in the truth of God's word. And then secondly, stand firm against the danger of false teaching. So that's where we're headed this morning as we go through this big chunk. So first of all, stand firm in the truth of God's word. So chapter two, as we saw when when we read through, is all about the the dangers of, of false teaching and false teachers in particular and the destiny that awaits those false teachers. But before getting into that, we have this stark contrast, if you like, why we can have rock-solid confidence in the authority and the truth of God's words. And Peter starts off much like Paul had to do in Galatians, if you remember back when we were going through Galatians. Peter is is setting out his own reliability as an apostle, as, as, as someone entrusted with the gospel to preach it. Um, here's why you can trust what I say, Peter's saying in that second half of, of chapter one. Here's why you can trust what I say, and you can sum it up in one word, eyewitness. Have a look at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. In mean, last week's, morning service Nigel had some great illustrations on, on the power and importance of an eyewitness for someone investigating an incident that's happened it's hard to beat an eyewitness account of it isn't it Peter's saying he didn't just hear some interesting stories he knew Jesus he was there he saw he heard and of all the time that he spent with the Lord Jesus what does he pick out well, he picks out what's called the transfiguration of Jesus from Matthew 17. Actually, that's what the children are looking at this morning in, in their classes. So you can go and ask them about what was going on on that mountainside. But look how Peter describes it, verse 17 and 18. He, it's the Lord Jesus, received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And Peter says, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. He saw with his own eyes the the majesty and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He heard the voice from heaven declaring who he really is. Moses and Elijah were there as well. And, And as you read in Matthew, Peter is so blown away by what was going on and what he saw and what he heard. He just didn't really know what to do. And so he asked, should we build shelters for these guys as well? It's just so mind-blowing for him, this experience. But it's striking that this is the incident that he picks up from all his experience. Especially striking when when he's going to go on to talk about false teaching. Because as you look back through 2,000 years of, of uh, church history, false teaching, heresy that has arisen Always tries to denigrate, to deny, to, to make less of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always. False teachings, always doing that. Saying actually he's, he's not really God. Or maybe he, he wasn't really fully human either. Or he's not really an equal part of, of the Trinity. His death on the cross isn't as sufficient as, as you might think. You need to do this and this and this and this. All the time, false teachers throughout history, false teaching is always making less of the Lord Jesus. So what does Peter do? He goes to the point where he was blown away by the majesty and glory of the Lord Jesus. Peter was an eyewitness of the majesty of, of Jesus, so we can trust what he has to say. His readers, they can trust what he had to say because he saw it. He was there. But if that wasn't um, a good enough reason on its own, he goes on to say something that is hugely significant for us today. When it comes to the question of whether or not we can actually trust the authority of the Bible ourselves. Verse 19 of chapter 1. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. the, The Old Testament scriptures, we have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you do well to pay attention to it. Why is it completely reliable? Verse 20 and 21, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Aren't they extraordinary words? Prophets in the past who, who wrote the Old Testament didn't just observe what was happening and then write their own interpretation of it. Of what they thought was, was going on. That's, that's not what's going on as, as scripture was being written. They didn't get a, a sort of vague idea from God and then write their own interpretation of what they thought God really meant. No. No. You notice what Peter says here? They wrote what came to them by direct revelation from God the Holy Spirit. What we have in the Bible, the Bible that we're holding in our hands today, is not human wishful thinking. It's not ideas that men have sort of dreamed up and want to spread around. This isn't a human agenda that is being pushed. This is God's Word. His agenda. His will. Verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So picture a a tall sailing ship in your mind. Think of the, the sails and the wind filling up the sails and driving it along. That's the sort of... Imagery that's going on here. The Holy Spirit is, is directing the prophets, those writing the Old Testament, as they write. So that what they write are his words. The very words of God, as Augustine would say. How does that work? I've no idea. <laughs> um, it's, there's, there's mystery here isn't there? Um, but this is what Peter is setting out about the, the word that we have here. This is the word of God. Now what is the application of this? Before we move on to kind of looking at the false teaching things, what, what applications are there? For here? Well, let me introduce two fictional people, Ellie and Jeff. I was trying to pick names that weren't going to be. <laughs> Ellie, when it comes to the Bible, she's got some doubts that the Bible is good and actually would would, would rather listen to the world instead. Yeah. Jeff, well, frankly, he just finds it hard to understand and, and to even know where to begin when it comes to reading the Bible and, and getting his head around it all. Well, what encouragement do we have for... Ellie, for Jeff, from these words, from these great truths? Well, the encouragement for Jeff is to persevere, even though it's hard. Because the God who inspired these words still speaks through them today by his spirit. We're not, we're not on our own as we come to, to God's word. We have his spirit opening our hearts and our minds, revealing um, His truth to us. And we're not on our own because we have one another. Have a look around. We're not on our own. So Jeff, keep going. How about for Ellie? Doubting that God's word is good. That's probably the majority view in in our culture today, isn't it? Although perhaps culturally it would probably express it stronger than Ellie does here. Rather than doubting whether it's good, there's a significant majority of people who believe that God's word is harmful and so to be ignored. But the reality is that, that all of us have something or someone that we base as the authority for our lives today. This is the thing that's, that, that I'm basing my choices, my decisions. This is what guides me as I go about this life. This is the authority in, in my life. And for a lot of people, it's it's simply our, our own feelings that, that govern what choices we're going to make and what we're going to do and how we want to live our lives and, and how we're going to shape what goes on. And over the years, for for those that I've... Uh, spoken to who, who don't really trust the Bible as you kind of dig a bit deeper it, it's not that they can't trust it but as you dig a bit deeper into the heart level it's that actually they they won't trust it not that they can't trust it but, but they won't trust it they don't want to trust it they don't want the Bible to be the authority in their life it's, it's a heart thing because if the Bible is true and authoritative a lot of teeth to get my teeth around. If the Bible is true, well then I, I don't want to submit to what it says about me and about life and eternity. Naturally, that's, that's how we wired. We want to be the ones who, who, who are in charge. We, if it, I'm, I'm going to do what feels good. That's how I'm going to live my life. Well, the question is, does that really work? Does that really work? Is that the authority you want to base your life on here and now and stake your eternity on? Feelings change. What happens when when your feelings contradict somebody else's feelings? Who wins in those situations? Why, why do they win and why not? Or Actually, as human beings, we need an authoritative truth to, to, to base our lives on, not subjective feelings. And I'd say to, to Ellie, God's word is good. God's word is good. Have a look at what uh, Peter says in verse 19. Again we we have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts see the image he goes for light in a dark place that's what god's word brings and god's word brings transformation and hope it is good It is good. So Peter says, stand firm in it. Set this as the ultimate authority in your life. Stand firm in it. But secondly, stand firm against the danger of false teaching. The words that Peter uses in this chapter are some of the strongest rebukes in the Bible. And we don't have time to to get into all the ins and outs and there's some quirky things here that um, you can think through in home groups. I'll let you get on with that. <laughs> but um, uh, in recent months and years, we, we've witnessed the fall of, of many once well respected church leaders who've turned their backs on the Lord Jesus, who've brought the church into disrepute and have caused untold grief And harm and pain to those that they've abused along the way. And some of us here have first hand experience of that. And sadly, this is nothing new. Two thousand years of church history we find there have been many who've 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 done the same. And in those first three verses of chapter two, Peter summarises what he spells out in the in the rest of the chapter. Um, have a look at verses 1 to 3. So he's talking, even even in the Old Testament, there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Notice, among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. That's strong words, isn't it? Secretly introduce destructive heresies heresies untruths even denying the sovereign lord who brought them bringing swift destruction on themselves many will follow the depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. in their greed these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories their condemnation has been long hanging over them their destruction has not been sleeping Notice the, the, the strong language, the, the things that he's drawing out there. From among you, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Notice their the greed as that's motivating them. And the fabricated stories in, instead of revealed truth that Peter's been talking about. And ultimately, destruction is coming for them. In no uncertain terms, he, he says, though it hasn't come yet. It will. His, his warning for them. And so throughout the, the rest of this chapter in verses 4 to 10, he sets out three examples proving that God is a God of judgment and of rescue. He's a God of judgment and of rescue. Now, maybe that, that some then, as now, don't really like the idea of wrath and Judgment and fire and brimstone and all that kind of doesn't sort of sit comfortably with us. But the the, uh, the the opposite of wrath is not sort of smiley happiness, but indifference, not caring about it. So we get these three examples in verses four to ten of angels who who sinned, of the flood. And Noah's rescue and Sodom and Gomorrah, the kind of the immorality and the sinfulness of that place and Lot being rescued. And the point in verse nine uh, of, of those three examples. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. The opposite of wrath. Not smiley happiness, but indifference. Who wants to worship a God who doesn't care about evil and injustice? False teaching is is serious. That's the kind of overriding thing you get as you read through these, these, these verses. Its consequences are serious, especially for the false teachers themselves. So in verse 1, verse 3, verse 9 and 10, verse 12, verse 13, verse 17... He says destruction is their destiny in no uncertain terms. This is what's coming for them. It is that serious. And in this chapter, he, Peter paints a, a vivid picture of these false teachers. This is how you spot them, if you like. And he shows them, he, he shows, them shows us, amongst other things, their arrogance. Verses 10 and 12 this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise uh, despise authority bold and arrogant these false teachers they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings yet even angels although they are stronger and more powerful do not heap abuse on such beings when they bring judgment on them from the lord but these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand they are like unreasoning Animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals too, they will perish. Do you get a sense of the arrogance of these guys and their corrupt lifestyle? Verses 13 and 14. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. There's no shame. They are totally characterized by sin. And they're taking advantage of, of the vulnerable for their own greedy gain. That's the... This corrupt lifestyle that's on full show, full view to everyone. And what's the fruit of, of their life and their ministry? Well, you can sum it up in one word. Harm. 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 In, in those that they seduce and take advantage of and entice, all they bring is harm. And actually, that's what they bring themselves in the end, ultimately, as well. Verse 18 and 19, "They, they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Notice the irony there. These false teachers, they're promising freedom. But they're ultimately totally deceived themselves. They are slaves to their own sin. They are slaves to their own corruption. And his verdict at the end of the chapter, verse 22. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit. And a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. It's another dramatic image that he draws on from the book of Proverbs. They have known the way of righteousness and truth, but have turned their backs on it. And they've returned to their sinful lives. Just like a dog returning to eat the poison that it previously vomited up. They are trampling over the Lord Jesus and his people. They're not ignorant, but they are willfully turning their back on him and destruction is their destiny. Stand firm, Peter urges, against false teaching, against false teachers. Stand firm instead on the truth of God's word. Heed the warnings. Remember the danger Moses warned his people of. Don't let the memories of God's amazing rescue fade from your hearts. Well, I wonder, what can you do this week to help yourself? stand firm what can you do this week to to help the memories of 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 god's rescue not to fade from your heart what could you do this week for yourself and what one thing could you do for someone else maybe someone here maybe someone uh, whoever the lord lays on your heart what could you do this week To help someone else stand firm on the truth of God's promises, on the glory of the gospel, on the future hope that we have that the Lord Jesus has won for us. Well, let's pray as we finish. I'm going to read some verses from Psalm 19 to guide us as we pray. The psalmist says this. They're much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey. Than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Heavenly Father we we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. While we were lost. Helpless in sin. You revealed yourself to us. Through your word. Through your son. Thank you that he came to deal once and for all with, with all our sin on the cross. And we pray you would help us to stand firm on the truth of the gospel, on the truth of your word. Help us to, to, to be people who fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus. Help us to help one another to do that, to encourage each other, to, to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. Would you protect us from false teaching, from false teachers? Help us stand firm, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.